Are you laughing now? Well, all right. Welcome to episode eight of Embrace the Suck, the only official licensed, sanctioned, cast-iron podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live from New York City, where hospitalizations have fallen to the lowest in one month, as 21% of coronavirus test subjects tested positive for antibodies, but show no symptoms. Well, that's nice to hear, finally on the way out of the woods, as opposed to still wandering around, running into trees in the COVID forest. All right, before we move along, quick beard update. I'm staring at the business end of week seven since beard reset. And at this point, I'm looking, I would say, a bit like salty U-boat captain. Like, uh, I look like I should be wearing this thing at this point. Don't look like just a guy that forgot to shave, which is a nice change. I like to think I really I really ducked a, ducked a bullet on this going around with no beard thing. But our topic this week stepping into uncertainty. We're starting to step out of the coronavirus pandemic side of things and trying to step back into regular life, but it's a little bit uncertain out there in terms of what is the economy going to look like? What is my job situation going to look like? What's everything going to look like? So what most people are used to is a life that's very much lined out. You know what to expect. You're going to get, you know, some people don't like it's the same thing every day, day in and day out. Some people complain about it, but the, the truth of the matter is that what, that's what most people like and what most people expect. But what you like and what you expect is not what's going on out there right now. It's not running like a finely tuned Swiss watch. It's more like it's mud up to your knees and you lost a glove and you've been living on Pop-Tarts for three days. That's what it's more like out there. And luckily for you, dear listener, that is something that I'm very familiar with. Not exactly hep to, but something I'm very familiar with, going around a little bit on the uncomfortable side. So kind of a quick story on how uh, how did I get from here to there? Well, before war kicked off and we went back into Iraq again, good times, good times, you know, it was train, train, practice, practice. And I think kind of the the gap there is the understanding that difference between dealing in the uncertainty and bridging the gap between that and training down to a precise, honed, fine edge. So the second time we went back into Iraq, our deal was like like we talked about a few podcasts ago, was uh, April 2003, and our job was to go and secure a metering and manifold, the whole pumping station with all the, the petroleum products in, in southern Iraq. So uh, like we talked about, we rehearsed this thing months and months and months, and really all it amounted to on on my end of it was the helo lands. I get out of the helo with my crew. We go to the left, we secure a little building there, and then we move through kind of a series of pipes and tubes and such, and then set up shop and wait for the Brits to show up. And we rehearsed for months and months and months and months. And getting into the details of that a little bit more, we were so tuned into like exactly how this thing is going to be. We've got this thing wired tight down to the details that when we actually went and finally did it, you know, everybody's everybody's cranked up, obviously, because you're going to war. But you get in there and you land and you get off and the dust is flying. You're like, yeah, man, I'm invading a country. This is the deal. And then we go running over there to this building and we figured maybe there's um, maybe there's, you know, a fence or chain link around it. And there was. So we go running up there and we call the, the quickie saw guy up. And a quickie saw is like uh, if you think of a, 
a big rotary saw, like a big round wheel saw, you know, that like your dad had in the garage or something, except this is a, it's one that you can carry around, you know, it's sort of like a chainsaw with that big round saw wheel on it. So that's a quickie saw. So we call the quickie saw guy up, hey, cut through this thing and everybody's ready to, ready to rock, you know, waiting for the quickie saw guy to cut through the chain link fence. And everybody's, because this is what we practiced, man, and everything's going, you know, this was possible option number one. We got a quickie saw through the fence. Okay, the guy's working the fence. And now one guy looks six feet down the fence line and he goes, hey, there's a gate right here. And everybody kind of looks at each other like, did we practice for a gate? We didn't practice for a gate. Should we go through the gate? You know, like you're cheating on the plan or something. So we look at each other for a good two or three seconds and then, yeah, let's go through the gate. Go through the gate. And we run, you know, six feet down the fence and through the gate. But that's kind of where that, that gray area is of where you practice so much that now any little hiccup that gets thrown in there and it kind of throws you off and getting used to working in that uncertainty. So the principle we're trying to address here is when everything you attempt runs less like that well-oiled Swiss watch and starts to feel more like you're trying to win the Kentucky Derby on a three-legged rocking horse. Yeah, it's very discouraging. But what you've got to realize in a situation like this, like this coronavirus situation, is that everybody is dealing with the same thing. Everybody is in the same spot, having the same complications, having the same uncertainties to deal with. Your job, if you want to get ahead, is to adjust to the unfamiliar at a rate that keeps you slightly uncomfortable and still out in front. So keeping yourself slightly uncomfortable, even though it's all very unstable and you're not used to and not quite sure, if you can keep adapting, keep adapting, stay a little uncomfortable, you're going to maintain an advantage while other people sit there and wallow. And the more you do it, the more you'll get better at it. And guys that have been to combat, this is something that you see with guys is it doesn't matter if the hiccups come. Yeah, man, everybody's going hit, to hit a hiccup here or there, but I'm all right with that because I fall down, I'm going to get back up. I'm up to my knees in mud. I'm going to keep on going. So now shifting to several years later, and this is 2006, 2007, and at this time, you know, my, my mindset about this had changed. I'm, I'm used to working with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of variables, and just sort of figuring things out as, as they come. And now at this time, my platoon gets dropped into the Al-Anbar province, like the, the western half of Iraq. And the situation at the time was that Al-Anbar province was like the Wild West, like anything is going on out here. Nobody knows how to skin this cat. Nobody knows what to do. And at the time, a lot of the local, like the tribes in Iraq, they started kind of standing up their own situation because a lot of these people that were coming through, they're not, not, you know, really religious zealots. These people don't really have any kind of code of ethics. They're just kind of into it, you know, like, hey, the region is unstable. Let's go steal some stuff. You know, and a lot of people that, that live there, they don't like that. So a lot of the tribal leaders, these sheikhs and such, they start standing up uh, what they were calling the, um, the Anbar Awakening. And uh, there was one guy, Sheikh Abdesatar, and this guy was, was a charismatic figure, like a big wheel on this thing. And he was out of Ramadi and he was getting a lot of this going and people were, it was like, it was like neighborhood watch with guns, good times. But uh, I was a few hours away uh, from Ramadi and we were kind of getting involved with this effort though. So we got an invitation to go and meet with the guy. So like in terms of planning and like the precision, what should I expect? Man, I don't know. The idea is just go get in the car and then you guys go out there and see how it plays out. So we load up the gun trucks, you know, the big up armored Humvees. We've got, you know, 50 cal on the roof and there's like four Humvees and we're rolling down the road and it's a couple hours off. So we're rolling out to Ramadi to this guy's compound. 
and we're driving and I'm going to be the only guy that goes in there. Just me, Han Solo. I don't know what the guy really looks like. I don't know how this is supposed to go. Don't know exactly what I'm supposed to find out. I don't know. So we go cruising and we're cruising along. And now as we start to get close, they've got, you see people motoring by on mopeds and they're kind of motoring up and scooting away and kind of checking you out. And they're riding like two guys on a moped, which in any other situation would be, you know, questionable. Like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Who rides like that? But, you know, they're riding like that. And one guy's got his hand in his cheap leather jacket, you know, looking at you like, what are you going to shoot me through the up armored Humvee if I'm not the American I appear to be? Come on, man. So we're, we're cruising. And now, you know, some of these, um, security situations that you come to where you kind of do like the, the, the weave this way, left and right, left and right, you know, to kind of slow you down so people can get a look at you. They got this set up, but with like semi trucks. So these, these Iraqis had set this up with semi trucks where you got to weave back and forth, you know? So we're going down the road and we do like the weave in and out of the semi-trucks thing. And now we come out on the other end and now here's uh, like a bridge. And now like on the top of this bridge is like four guys with AKs, like all kind of scanning the scene, you know, like looking at like, and it's obviously it's, it's, you know, for show, they're kind of putting on a show, but it was, it was still pretty cool. But uh, so they're kind of checking it out. And now we're going under the bridge and now we're heading into the compound you know, and there's tons of guys all over the place with, you know, AKs all, you know, on alert, looking very ready to rock and roll. And uh, now we, we pull into the gate, into the compound. And now you're what security guys call inside the bubble. You know, so outside, it's like, you know, lots of guys, lots of guns, dudes in cheap leather jackets. Uh, but inside the bubble, it's kids running around. People are hanging out, talking, drinking tea. So... This is where I'm going to this meeting, you know, that we're inside Sheikh Abdesatar's compound. So I'm going to this meeting in here. So it's just me. So everybody else stays in the car. So I get out. And now it had rained in Ramadi the night before, I guess. And like you, maybe you've heard people talk about how the dust is in Iraq. It's like baby powder. It's dirt, but it's baby powder. And when it rains, it just becomes like cake batter. It's horrible. So I get out and now it's muddy. And I'm like, loop, loop, loop. And like instantly like mud up to my knees. You know, so we had kind of assumed that when we get there, that like, obviously I'm not walking in someplace with no gun, but we also got to consider that just like the show that they put on, on the way in here, you know, with the weave in and out and all the guys with the leather jackets, with the, you know, I'm, I'm secret squirrel security guy that maybe these guys are going to put on a big show and want to frisk me, you know, never mind that I've got like four Humvees full of operators out here, you know, and 50 cows mounted on the roof. Like you're going to frisk me just to make sure that I'm safe or whatever. So I get out of the, get out of the car and I've got, I don't have a, I don't have my rifle on me. I don't have a pistol on my waist. I got a pistol in an ankle holster, but now I also got, uh, like mud, like up to my knees, which is also no good. So I'm kind of like making my way through the mud where we parked up towards the compound and like get to the, get to the concrete and I'm walking up towards the, the place there. And sure enough, here's a guy like waving his hands at me to like, put my hands up, put your hands up. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he comes at me and gives me like this really low speed pat down. Like, okay, okay. You know, you're okay. You're safe. You can come inside where the shake is. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. So I start to walk inside, but now I see that like, it's really nice carpets in there and everybody else has their shoes off. 
because this is, I guess this is something they do. You know, you go to a nice place, you take your shoes off because you don't, obviously you don't want to get mud all over. He's like, your shoe, your shoe. I'm like, oh yeah, perfect. So now I got an ankle holster and everything's all muddy and my gun's probably going to fall out of my pant leg here in a second as soon as I take my boots off. And I'm like, uh, you have a restroom? And I have, I have an interpreter with me. I'm like, dude, ask him where the restroom is. So he asks, he's like, hey, it's up the stairs. I'm like, I'll be right back. I, I'm, I have to go so bad, so bad. So I take off up the stairs, take my gun out of my ankle, put it into my belt, you know, and like, you know, like cheap gangster style, like I'm Ice Cube now going to a meeting at the Shake's house. Terrific. Got my gun in my, in my, in my belt line now. Take my boots off, put on my hand, come running back downstairs. Like, okay, I'm cool now. And set my shoes there, my muddy boots with everybody else's, you know, nice, weird Gucci loafers or whatever. And now I walk in here to the meeting and it's, you know, kind of cool at first. And then it gets weirder. It gets weirder after that. So along with me, I brought, I brought my interpreter, obviously. And then I brought this local low level shake, like really nice guy, solid guy, had gotten shot once and had no problem pulling up his, you know, his outfit to show you, oh, this is where I get shot. Yeah, great. Um, but I bring these two jokers with me and... You know, other shake, little the the low level shake doesn't speak any English, and the interpreter I brought with him, like these interpreters work in shifts. So the solid guy, Abu Khalid, the guy you know, I probably heard me talk about him before, that guy he was off shift and he was you know he didn't go with one of the other guys. It was really solid. He didn't go with. So I got this guy Slipknot Deluxe, and this guy's with me. So we walk into the main sitting room, and we're in there. And you got to see if if you ever get a chance, go to Iraq, check out one of these rooms. Tip top. But you go in there, and it's this monster Persian rug. Not like these crummy Persian rugs that you see, I don't know, you know, at the exchange or, you know, on Amazon. I don't know. But, like, these things are thick and plush and enjoyable. And this thing is huge. It's like a giant banquet room size, but really good-looking carpet. So you walk in there and, like, hanging out on this nice carpet, and then it's just couch all the way around the edge. And everybody's sitting and talking and smoking, of course. And, uh... So I walk in there and I sit down and my Terp sits down and then, you know, Shake Jr., the guy I brought with, he sits down and Shake Jr., this guy, he's an old guy, you know, and he smokes these crummy cigarettes. I don't even know if the guy's still alive. He's, he was pretty old. He might not be, you know, it's not like I can call and check on him, but he smoked these crummy cigarettes called pine and it was like sawdust, you know, and, and me, I don't even smoke. But, you know, obviously, if I'm hanging out with these people, I have to at least pretend. So he's like waving cigarettes at me. I'm like, dude, we just got here. He's like, hey, hey, he wants to know if you want to smoke. I'm like, yeah, I'd love nothing more. Please give me one of those pine cigarettes. So I'm sitting there with my crummy pine cigarette. And, uh, you know, Shake Jr. is sitting there with his pine cigarette, just happy as a clam to be at this meeting. You know, even though we're not talking to anyone yet. So we sit there for a minute, and now some guy, guy in a in a military uniform, comes over, Iraqi guy, and he's he's a general, he's somebody, and he comes over, and uh, he comes over, sits down, introduces himself. Sheikh tells me, you know, or, or I'm, I'm working through the the terp, we introduce everybody, and now my terp Slipknot Deluxe is like, yeah, hey, boss, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I'm like, dude, come on. So he gets up and takes off. So we're sitting there, like, just kind of smiling at each other like a bunch of yahoos because I don't speak Arabic. And these two guys, you know, I know Sheikh Jr. doesn't speak English. And I'm guessing that the general here doesn't speak English. So we're sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. It's like I'm waiting on a bus. It's never coming. And now this general just kind of pipes up. And he's like, so 
who are you with? Because I wasn't wearing a uniform, right? I didn't ever wear a uniform there. I'm wearing, you know, 5'11", we call business tactical. Uh, you know, you kind of everybody knows who you are, but you're not wearing uniforms. So you're not really in uniform. But, you know, so this general is like, so who are you with? I'm like, oh, you, you speak English. Like, why why did you just not say, you know? So I said, oh, well, I'm uh, I'm with U.S. military. I I guess that you are. But who, who are you with? You know, so I tell him that I'm with Naval Special Warfare, Special Operations Group, you know, and uh, I'm from the city down the road and I want to find out what, you know, what's going on. What can I get out of this? He says, oh, you're the military. I know you. You know, I see the way that you do things and it's not very good. And I'm like, here we go. But I have a plan, sort of. So he's, he's laying it on me, man. And like, you come here and you break things and you blow things up and and always this and never that. And, da -da -da -da. and I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So he finally finishes insulting me. And I said, and you know, I come here and I see that you have a handle on things you specifically have heard about. I don't know who this guy is, but you I've heard about. You know what you're doing. And he says, yes, yes, I do this. I do that. I said, so that's why I come here to you to ask you to help me. Well, not help me, but help out the city down the road where I am. Help out the people. Help out your people. That's what I want to do. And that's why I'm here. That's why I took today, risked driving all the way here so I could meet with you because I need your help. And the dude looks at me like, oh, he looked at me the same way I looked at him when I figured out he could speak English. Like, uh, you let me step right in that, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So he looks at me for a minute and he's like, he's smoking his cigarette like a French dude, like that reverse grip, you know? And he like reverse grips his cigarette and takes it out of his mouth and looks at me and is like, take out your pen. I'm like, yeah, this is happening. So I take out my pen. He gives me some names. Call these people. They will help you. I'm like, yeah, nice. So entire meeting, like a solid 15 minutes tops. So I'm like, all right, well, thanks a lot, General. Good meeting you. So uh, head out, round up the turp. I take Shake Jr., stuff him back in the car, slunk, slunk, slunk through the mud. And then we head home. But the thing I wanted to focus on with that story is, is the fact that it wasn't going into it with a very, very specific plan that got me into it and out of it in one piece. And if I dare say successfully, the idea here is being able to come out of that situation with the kind of result that I wanted to achieve, even if I couldn't go into the situation with a very, very specific plan. Because walking into the next several weeks, we're not going to have a very, very specific plan. But if we want to get ahead, if we want to succeed, what we need to be able to do is look at the situation and think of how we can bend it to our advantage and then make that happen. Now, stepping away from an exclusive focus on yourself, your job, once you've got that down, is to take a leadership role, even if you don't want to define it. I'm not, I'm not a leader. I'm just, you know, I'm a guy that gets things done. Then lead by example. But take that role and pull everyone else around you up to your level because you just don't know how much somebody else is suffering or how, how hard a time somebody else is having. Somebody else could be having a pretty rough time. And if you are able to get by, pull somebody else up, up to your level and start building that community around yourself. Because at the end of the day, we can get through this thing in one piece, but it's not going to happen with you just making it about yourself. And by you, I mean me, but also I mean you. So... That's enough for this week, and uh, as the sun sets slowly in the east, I will leave you with the words of Julius Caesar, who said, No one is so brave that they are not disturbed by the unexpected. 
I'm smart, capable, and most importantly, I'm free in all the ways that you are not. <laughs>